We've been starting our sermon series with a question that we begin with and a question we end with. And rather than a question tonight, it's a hope I have. It's a hope I have. I'm going to start with the idea of have yourself a merry little Christmas. Whatever Christmas might mean for you this year, I hope it finds you and finds you well. I hope that you see in the midst of Christmas an opportunity for rejoicing, for centering, and for peace. This, this all, is Christmas done in a big way. And so my hope for you is that you might find your ways, even in the midst of the bigness and the celebrations and the crowds and the space and the warmth in the candlelight, that one merry little moment for you, that place, that space, that you can say, yeah, Christmas has arrived for me. You may have noticed as you came in in our lobby, the upside down Christmas tree. We found it on Amazon. We didn't manufacture it. I'm not that brave. But we've been going through this series about an upside down Christmas. And our rationale for that was a handful of ways to do it. One is we were studying a book called A Season of Surprises. And to realize that the Christmas story in who the characters are, the locations, where Jesus is born, how he is brought to the world, who first hears the story, those are all surprising casts of characters. So it was a way of saying Christmas is a time to be surprised by the story of Christmas again. It was an invitation for us to look at these stories with new eyes and new ears. This is probably the catalog of songs and scripture that is most familiar in Western culture. The Christmas narrative of Jesus come and born in Bethlehem with shepherds and wise men on camel's backs. And if you really begin to unpack and peel back the layers, you're surprised by what you see and hear. We pray for our first responders and those who need them. But really, an upside-down Christmas for me is what Christmas is really all about. The more I looked into the history of the upside-down Christmas trees beyond things like, you know, like Ariana Grande's Instagram posts, I was really struck by the history of where this upside-down tree came from. Legend has it that it started in the 7th century with a saint by the name of Boniface, who in Ireland was ministering to these folks uh, who were secularly praying to a spruce tree. He cut the small spruce tree down and held it upside down, and the triangle that it formed he used as a symbol of the Trinity. And so this upside-down tree for some 1,300 years has been a way to talk about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that if God can be deeply in love within God's self, so too can that love be made manifest in my story and in yours. But for me, where the rubber hits the road is that the upside-down Christmas tree was used most commonly amongst the poor in 19th century Poland, amongst people who had so little floor space in their single-room dwellings that they would hang their greens in their trees from the rafter so that they could decorate and celebrate for Christmas but still have space to sleep, to eat, and to move. Never forget that Christmas is an opportunity to connect yourself, your spirit, your eyes, witness, and your work with the poor. That's to whom God comes. And so we've been talking about this idea that if Christmas is a season about turning things upside down, it's a chance for us to consider the ways in which the birth of Jesus does exactly that. Turns things like an unjust society into a more just one. That takes that which is ordinary, boring, and plain and turns it into something extraordinary and magnificent. 
to take people in that cast of characters in the Christmas story who are on the outside looking in like the shepherds in the fields or the wise men who weren't even from a Jewish religious tradition, those who are excluded and to find them be a part of God's radical inclusion and hospitality. Or in our Christmas musical last week, the No Room at the Inn story, about how we find places in Christmas where we feel like there's no space for anything else, anyone else, not one more emotion, not one more thing, and yet finding space for it. All of these are turnings that we've been doing throughout Advent and the Christmas season. So we come to the granddaddy of them all. Christmas Eve at 7.30 here at Valencia United Methodist Church. We're but a handful of breaths away from a time where the lights of this place will go down and out and we will take the light of the Christ candle and share it with one another in such a way that our world is brighter for each one of us being here tonight. We are a part of turning a pattern of darkness into light, of despair into hope of an absence of community and an absence of possibility and saying that maybe, just maybe, tonight there's the chance for fellowship and there's the chance for opportunity. For our work is done in a weary time. The scene that we capture in our nativity scenes taking place in a stable in Bethlehem stands in stark contrast to how Bethlehem spent their Christmas Eve all day today. Nearly empty. It's a ghost town. It's under martial law with people protecting them, moving through the streets. There are no Christmas services like we're celebrating here. Their nativities are not out. It is empty. And so as we heard Deb read tonight a story from the Gospel of Luke, that most of which just kind of rushes over our heads. It's a chance to see how the birth of Jesus turns things upside down. That's what all that stuff about Herod and Census and Augustus Caesar and something fun like Quirinius as the governor of Syria, or as our young person at the earlier service said, Syria. I was like, I like that better. <laughs> These are strange times, difficult times, where we confess that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joseph, his earthly father, would be displaced from that which is normal and regular for them in Nazareth and journey to this town of Bethlehem in the midst of her pregnancy. When we want to talk about being ready for Christmas, when we talk about all of the expectations and the busyness of Christmas, as a parent of two kids, I remember that that season in life felt like we couldn't put one more thing in it how tired we were, for how worried and waiting we were when our watching, because both our kids were at least one week overdue. Well, in the midst of waiting and watching, in the midst of feeling displaced and off-centered, in the midst of feeling like I had to go someplace where I did not want to go, that's exactly the story that you heard from the Gospel of Luke tonight. A weary world and a heavy time. As prophet Isaiah put it, a people who were walking in darkness and it was an opportunity for them to see a great light. Because we sometimes feel that in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of the times where things don't feel right, where we have been the ones that are tossed upside down and we can't see with new perspective, 
Those are times where God feels really absent and distant. It's why we wanted to lean into this doubt series in the new year. Knowing that there are people who have deep and abiding doubts and questions about God's participation in their life. Because when family members get sick, when kids struggle, when things don't turn out the way we plan, when we lose our jobs, it feels like a weary and heavy time. And God feels distant. But hear this church. The Christ candle. The Christmas story reminds us that God's solution to that disorientation is not to step away, but to be present. To live into the truth of the third chapter of the Gospel of John, to say God loves the world enough to send the Son to become what we call incarnate flesh among us. Fully God and fully man, living in our midst that we might know forgiveness and the fullness of life. Take seriously the merry little Christmas moment when light is passed to you tonight. Because it's a reminder that your light this Christmas is enough. You might not feel like it. You might not feel like it. Your social media feed, the news you watch, it might feel like there is nothing but darkness and despair. And to hold one little candle of hope and faith in the face of that is, seems just insufficient. But my confession to you is, your light is enough. And when you receive it, it's a reminder that you are a part of shining a bit of that hope into darkness to turn the world upside down. But the power is, none of us are spontaneously combusting for the candlelight service at Valencia United Methodist Church. None of you have to make your own light tonight. It will be shared from the Christ candle to the ends of rows and across. Your neighbor will carry the light that you need. And it is a reminder that in the midst of wondering if your light is enough, to also know and confess that you are never alone. Even if you came here by yourself, you are not alone tonight. We all carry that light together. That's how we make a difference. That's how we can be here for good. That's how we can, with assurance, offer opportunities to share our gifts beyond the walls of this place and to make a difference in the world that surrounds us. It's an opportunity to bear witness to the power and the potential that one light might become two, which becomes four, which becomes many, and it becomes enough to be a witness that in a heavy and a weary time, that's when Christ comes. What breaks through that thick stew of the world as it is? It's not one more gun. It's not one more bomb. It's not one more angry word. It's the cry of one needing infant to be seen and be known that they have come as light in life. So in the bigness of it, in the struggle of it, wherever you find yourself tonight, my hope and my prayer remains the same. Have yourself a merry little Christmas, and God bless you. Amen.